And I'm honored to be here with you guys. I get to spend two weeks with Ryan. Uh, four weeks from tomorrow, we fly out. And we get, we're rooming together, too. We are. Yeah, we're rooming together. We're going to be in Israel for two weeks studying the life of Jesus chronologically. So we're not going to see a lot of Old Testament stuff. We're going to start like outside of Bethlehem and just chronologically looking through the life of Christ. Um, like Ryan said, I work with Sun Life Ministries. It's all about the son's life. Um, I was introduced to it when I was a college student. I remember one of my youth ministry professors saying that there's different philosophies of youth ministry. Uh, there is like the, the parachurch model where you get a lot of students together, uh, you play some games, you do a 10-minute Bible study, and then you get refreshments, and then at summertime, you get all the kids to summer camp, share the gospel with them. And then he said there was a traditional model where you have a youth group president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and that's what I had growing up. My youth group was like that. They called the meeting to order, old business, new business, somebody did a Bible study, then you went and played dodgeball and you went home. And then he said there's this other model called the Life of Christ model. And it was started by Sun Life Ministries at Moody Bible Institute in 1980. And it looked at the life of Jesus and how did he do youth ministry? Because most of his disciples were most likely youth, youth pastors, youth, or, or they're youth, most likely teenagers. So he had a youth group. What did he do to make disciples? And I'm like, this makes sense to me. This makes, I'm a Polish guy, Zaborowski's my last name. I grew up in a small town of 400 people, so I'm not the smartest guy, but that made a lot of sense to me. Instead of trying to reinvent everything, let's look at what did Jesus do. So right after I graduated, I got, uh, went to a Sun Life seminar and was just uh, catapulted down the pathway of disciple making and making disciples like Jesus did. And that's one of the things that, that Ryan and I just initially picked up on each other's heartbeat. And that's what I love about uh, Montana Bible College. Probably, and I, I get around the country a lot, probably the best college for focusing on disciple making. Uh, Moody does a great job. Taylor University in Indiana, their youth ministry departments really pump out disciple makers. But collectively, as a college, pushing it out there, yeah, you guys are at the top for, for doing that. Um, like Ryan said, my name is Joel. I am 48 years old. This is my 27th year in sort of pastoral ministry because I resigned as a pastor last year to go on staff full-time as a missionary with Sun Life. Uh, I do uh, leadership development across the U.S. I work with pastors, youth pastors, ministry leaders, training and coaching and mentoring the life of Jesus and how to make disciples like him. Um, I've been married 25 years. Um, I married up probably like Ryan did, married up um, to my wife Stacy is a, a nurse. She stayed at home a lot of years, uh, but then about four years ago started um, being a school nurse at a school for developmentally challenged children. Uh, when we were here in the Valley, she for one year worked at Sacagawea Middle School where she was a personal nurse for a student who was uh, autistic and epileptic and had a lot of issues, and so God sort of prepared her for the job that she has now at her school. Got a 22-year-old daughter. She's graduating from Cornerstone University in Michigan with a teaching degree, and she's looking at possibly coming back to the valley here where we used to live. She's getting married to a good redneck kid. Uh, he's a kid. He was in my youth group for two years, discipled him for two years, then discipled him for two more years as a college student. Um, he was in 4-H. Anybody in 4-H? He rebuilt a tractor for his 4-H project, so he's, he's good by me. Got a 19-year-old son. And uh, he is at Cornerstone also. He's studying missionary aviation. He was seriously considering NBC 
and the outdoor discipleship program, but the Lord just sort of took him to that missionary aviation field, so he's studying that there. And then I've got a, an eighth grade son who uh, I love having him at home. I love coaching him in sports and um, just seeing him grow to reach out to his friends and share the gospel with his friends in, in the neighborhood. That's our, that's our family. Like I said, I grew up in a small town. Small town, if you can envision Pennsylvania, it looks like a rectangle, and up in this far corner is where I grew up, the northwest corner of Pennsylvania, town of 400 people. Um, we were a logging family, so I grew up running log skidders, backhoes, bulldozers, chainsaws, all those things. Um, I grew up going to church. My grandfather was a Baptist preacher. We were a Polish family, so in the city of Erie, Pennsylvania, which is up in that corner, uh, he was pastoring a little Polish Baptist church. He would preach in Polish at 8 o'clock, and then Sunday school, and then at 11 o'clock preach in English to this, uh, to this little congregation in Erie. I came to Christ at the age of nine. I grew up going to church, went to vacation Bible school, Bible camp in the summer, all those things. But you know how when you put a, a coin in the gumball machine and you crank it, crank it, crank it, and then the coin drops, and then you get your gum? That's what happened to me. I was, you know, heard the gospel, heard the gospel, exposed to the gospel, and then the coin dropped. And one day at this after-school Bible club, I remember walking to Bible club in the snow, in the winter, uh, pulling my brother on the sled to Bible club in our little town. And then that one day, the lady, Miss Donna Dute, I remember her name. I don't know where she is today, but Miss Donna Dute shared the gospel again, and, it, and the coin dropped. It made sense, and I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive my sins, give me eternal life in heaven, and my life didn't change a whole lot at all as a nine-year-old. Then the next year when I was 10, my dad in his logging business, he lost his brother. His brother, my uncle, was his best friend. He was killed in, uh, in an accident working for my dad, and my dad went into depression had a nervous breakdown, had to be hospitalized. Back then they called it manic depression because he would get really depressed and cry all the time and then he would just hallucinate and, and get like schizophrenic. They call it bipolar today. So he started going on medication and, and a year to the day after my uncle died, my dad's best friend was killed in a logging accident for my dad. A, a branch fell off a tree, a widow maker, and, and, and hit and killed uh, his friend Chuck. And again, my dad's life started to spiral downward. And about a year after, that's when my dad started to, uh, started to drink alcohol. And my family would go to church. My dad would just drink. I mean, he was a case of beer a day, 24 cans. He would pound the alcohol. And as a, as a 10 or 12-year-old boy at that time, as you can imagine, I'm sure some of you guys have experienced stuff like that, where your world just blows up and it falls apart. And dads need to hand off that, that masculinity down to their sons, and, and boys are looking for their approval and their dads to be proud of them. And that was a real struggle for me because I wasn't having that. And I remember going to church at that time and seeing men in our church and seeing that they always were smiling at church, but it seemed like one of those phony smiles. You know what that's like? Where everything's good all the time. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm blessed, brother. I'm good too. Praise the Lord. But life wasn't squeaky clean and like that all the time. And as I, as I got older into my teen years, I start to detect there was a lot of hypocrisy in the church. Anybody ever notice that? I think teenagers have this, like this inborn hypocrisy detector in them, and you can just sniff it out. And I was sniffing it out, and I would see these guys talk one way on Sunday, but live completely differently throughout the week. And as a teenager, I started to get really critical and cynical about it. And I remember 
saying to God, you know what, I look in church and I just see all these hypocrites here. And it was like all of a sudden this mirror came down in front of me and I realized, wait a minute, I'm just like they are. Because I, at age nine, I put my faith in Jesus and I believed in him, but here I was living one way at school completely different than Sunday. And here, what I was critical of, I was becoming. And I remember reading in my Bible, said, okay, God, you know, I want, I want the real thing. I hate phoniness. I hate hypocrisy. I hate pretense, even though as a teenager, I didn't know what that word pretense meant. But I hated that kind of stuff. I'm like, I want what is real here. And I remember coming across John chapter 10, verse 10. Are you familiar with that verse? When Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to give life and give it to the full or abundantly. And I'm like, that's what I want. I want that full life, that abundant life, that real life. Where, where do we get that from? Because I'm not seeing it in these, these men in the church. I'm not seeing it at home. Where does, this, where does this come from? As I'm pondering this and thinking this over, I read the next verse. And in John 10, 11, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Now remember, I'm a Polish kid, small town. It's not always easy for me to connect the dots, but I'm starting to connect and I'm like, wait a minute. If Jesus is the shepherd, what does that make me? I'm the sheep. What does the sheep do in relationship to the shepherd? They follow him. And then as when I started to realize that never in the Bible did Jesus challenge people to believe in him. He never said, come and believe in me. He said, come and follow me. And up to that point, I'd been a believer in Jesus, but I wasn't a follower of Jesus. So I started to try to follow Jesus, you know, reading the scriptures, praying to him, trying to do what the scriptures said, but I didn't realize at that time that I was lacking one thing, and that was somebody who could disciple me or mentor me or show me how to walk that way. That's what a dad is supposed to do with their son. That's what pastors are supposed to do with their congregations. Uh, Jesus was a rabbi, and he rabbied his disciples, and they started to imitate and walk like him. I didn't have that in my life, but I tried as the best as I could to follow after Jesus. Stumble, fall, get up again, stumble, fall, much like probably you experienced too in that life. So I was getting ready to go to college, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what the Lord wanted me to do. I know what I wanted to do, because I was involved in basketball, baseball. I know I don't look like a cross-country runner, but 50 pounds ago, I was. And I wanted, to, I, wanted to coach, I wanted to coach sports and be a phys ed teacher. But I wasn't sure what the Lord wanted. So I went to a, a Bible college called Messiah College, and that would have been like in central Pennsylvania. I went there. And uh, after about a year, the Lord was making it clear to me, okay, I want you to go into youth ministry. You as a student really needed somebody to pastor and mentor and disciple you. There's a whole generation of young people that need somebody to pastor and disciple and mentor them. So I sensed that call. That's when I got exposed to Sun Life and the life of Jesus using his model to make disciples of people. And that's when I really started seeking out older people. I love what Ryan does here. He's always got students that he's discipling. I started looking for people at my college. Our college, we had a, a campus pastor or chaplain. And so I asked him, could I spend an hour a week with you? Would you give me time and disciple me? And, and I started to become a disciple, uh, a dorm disciple coordinator on our campus. And I started to have um, these people involved in my life uh, discipling me. And after graduation, I went back actually to my home church up in the, the corner of the state, up in northwest Pennsylvania. 
and became the youth pastor there. And as a, as a 21-year-old youth pastor, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, um, I thought I knew everything. I was this hot shot, this you know, energetic speaker, all-night lock-ins, going to all the sports games, coaching in the school, um, teaching what I thought were these awesome Bible studies. They were probably a four out of 10, honestly. And I wanted to have the biggest youth group around. I wanted to have um, you know, the most notoriety. I wanted to have success. I wanted people to have all their eyes on me. And it was during those, those six years at my first church that the Lord started to knock me down some pegs. You know, I was passionate about making disciples. Uh, I was in a church that wasn't passionate about making disciples. They were passionate about being comfortable. And so as time went on, I would choose every hill to die on. And God just started, I mean, we, had a, we did see, you know, we saw in six years over 30 kids come to Christ and get baptized in our church. We saw some awesome things happen with our youth ministry. But over that time, God was just bringing a different verse. Remember there was John 10, 10 and 10, 11. Now it was John 3, 30. And this was John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must become greater and I must become less. And that sort of became the drum that I was beaten over those six years, more and more. I've got to become less. I don't have to be the big shot. I don't have to have the biggest group. I can pray for the success of other youth pastors in my town and celebrate when they've got a bigger youth group than I do. And God started to just sort of change and humble me at that point. Well, after six years in Northwest Pennsylvania, uh, God was, was moving in my wife and, and my hearts. Uh, to, we, we didn't have a good alignment with that church. We were becoming really good disciple makers. The church was still living in the land of comfortability. And we sensed the Lord, you know, let's go to a, a, a different church. And also a place where I could, again, find that discipler. I needed a rabbi. I was about 26 years old at that time, 27, and I needed somebody who, you know, could, could really build into, into me. And so we went to, uh, if Ohio was, this is about Ohio, if it's an envelope, we went to where the stamp would be in Ohio, in Northeast Ohio, and went to a little town there and was there 10 years as a youth pastor, spent one of those 10 years as the interim senior pastor, got to cut my teeth preaching and different things. And I remember learning there uh, besides having an incredible, incredible mentor, learning a phrase that I sort of wrote up called God dependency. See, it wasn't about me just doing all this ministry, asking God to bless it, but this God dependency thing, as I really tried to live out, was, was I got direction from God, and then I do the work with God's help, because He wants us to do the work, and then I trust God for results, and then I give God the credit. And really tried to live that out where, where I would ask him ahead of time, what do you want us to do? Not decide what we're going to do and then ask him to bless it. But this whole idea of depending on him started to grow in maturity, started to be discipled and mentored. And I really didn't have a theme verse during those 10 years. It's because that's when I really started to dig into the scriptures. I've got, I, I got a good grounding in Bible college, but then it really took on my own. And as you guys grow out of Bible college and go into ministries different places, it really takes that, that personal digging into scriptures, studying, learning about the scriptures um, that makes a big difference in your life. 
And all those 10 years, that helped prepare me for coming to the valley here. In 2004, the Lord put it on uh, my heart, on my wife's heart, that um, we're going to go and we're going to plant a church. We're with the Evangelical Free Church. Uh, we started a church in Belgrade. Uh, we named it New Hope Bible Church. And it was just, those were like years of, of faith for me. I remember, um, does anybody know where, uh, where River Rock Subdivision is over there in Belgrade? Uh, there was a, an elementary school there. And I remember standing out there in 2004. We had driven our family out here for vacation. We were praying about planting a church. We'd done a lot of investigation, talked to different people. And uh, we said, Lord, if you want us to come here, would you let us live here in, in River Rock? Would you let us start the, the church in that school? Um, we did a lot of groundwork. I, I was on the phone over the next year with the principal of that school. Turns out he's um, an elder in the Latter-day Saints church. He did not want us in there. And I remember calling four times throughout the summer, can we use your, church, your, your school building for a church building? No. Call me and hey, I'd like to meet you. I'm going to come into town. Can we use the building for our church meetings? No. Four times. And I remember after we moved there, I'm standing out in the lawn of that school saying, Lord, what are we doing here? What, I mean, we sold all our stuff in Ohio. We had a house, a barn, three acres. I had an Articat four-wheeler with a plow. And we lived where we could, we could get 120, 140 inches of snow a year where we lived. And uh, like, we sold all that. We lived in, moved into the mobile home section of River Rock. So we had a little double wide. And I'm like, Lord, what are we doing here? We're supposed to start church in two weeks. We don't have a place to meet. So I sent out emails asking people to pray. I had the meeting, the finally the face-to-face -face meeting with the principal of the school. 20 minutes into the meeting, I had a master key to the building. I mean, see God grow in our faith. And I remember as we were getting ready for our first gathering, it's a Sunday morning, we're having a gathering, and this is stupid me, Polish kid, town of 400. We had our first worship service on the Sunday before Labor Day. And I didn't realize that in the valley, people don't go to church for Memorial Day to Labor Day. <laughs> they're out in the mountains, they're hiking. I had an elder from another church say, yeah, the pastor knows he's not going to see me from Memorial Day to Labor Day. I'm like, that doesn't make sense if we're following Jesus. But that was the culture here. So we started that day. And on Thursday, on Thursday night, we, were having, we put together some people who were going to help lead singing and lead worship. So we're having a practice in the school over at the school building there. Before we came for practice, we lived in River Rock, and it's named that way for a reason. There's rocks everywhere. So we had had this double-wide trailer, and we're picking the rocks out of the yard. We want to put down topsoil, put down some grass in our yard, because we've got three kids. We want to have some place to play. So one of the guys who wanted to help start the church comes over with his bobcat, and he's digging up gravel, and I'm hauling it away in a dump truck I rented. And I come back from one of my runs, and he's outside, and there's water all in my front yard. He's like, dude, you got water here. I'll see you later. And he leaves. So he's gone. And we're like, where is this from? We found it's from the clean out. He broke the clean out. So we got no water in the house. Um, so we're going over to Burger King across the highway to wash our hands even. My wife says, hey, I found the jackpot. There's porta potties right behind here. We can go to the bathroom. So we call Roto-Rooter and they're coming out and they're saying, you know, this is going to be a big deal. And this is Labor Day weekend. This is Thursday of Labor Day weekend. So we leave that mess behind. We go to the school because we're getting our worship team practice in. One of the families there had adopted a couple kids from Sierra Leone. They're homeschooling these boys, and they're learning how to read. And they read on the fire alarm thing, pull down here. <laughs> and so he thinks these are instructions. He doesn't read above that in case of emergency. So he pulls down here. 
the alarms go off, fire department's coming, I'm running down the hall with the janitor trying to call him off, and I'm thinking, here, this, this, this Mormon principal doesn't want us here anyway. He's looking for a reason to get rid of us. Here's his reason. We're, we're sunk. What are we going to do? It's Thursday. Meanwhile, the fire department's there. We're getting them settled down. Rotor router calls me up, and I'm on the phone outside from the fire alarm going off, and he's telling me, you know what? This is going to be, you know, $1,500 to $1,700. And I'm like, dude, we sold all our stuff. I'm a church planting pastor. I don't have a salary yet. We're, you know, Lord, what are you doing here? So we do our worship team practice, get home around 10 at night. My wife's in bed, and, she, and I said, you know, I just got to check my email before, before I come to bed. And so I get on there, and, and then one of my buddies, a guy that I played basketball with in college, we were janitors together in college, played basketball together in college. He says, hey, Joel, I just... Um, wanted to see how things are going and you know we're praying for you, you know we're given to help you as a missionary church planter but we haven't heard you say anything about finances lately but I know you need them so you know we just want to let you know we just mailed a check for two thousand dollars and this was just unbelievable how God just lifted me up at that very moment so it's like I'm not gonna just give you 15 to 17 what it's gonna cost I'm gonna give you two grand a little bit more is what the Lord was saying so, you know, planting a church, those were, those were like faith years, but they were also like prayer years. Because I had been a youth pastor for 16 years, I was becoming a senior pastor, and I was nervous about that. I mean, I love to teach God's Word, but I never had done, you know, the senior pastor, and I wanted to do it right. And I remember this was the verse then, was the Acts 6-4, where... The apostles said when there was needs of the widows, they said, you know, we're going to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to teach the word and I'm going to pray. And what I started to do was go up to Mountaintop Retreat Center once a month for a prayer day. He let me come up there for free, stay in a cabin, walk, hike, read, pray. I started praying like crazy for our church. I had 300 people that I'd emailed twice a month, giving them the needs, pray for our church. I would take a prayer walk every day around Belgrade, praying for every single person in our church. I remember some people would come and visit our church, and if they came back a second week, and say, hey, Mark and Tammy, it's good to see you guys again. I'm glad you guys came back. And they're like, how'd you remember our names? Well, I prayed for you four times this week. I pray for everybody in our church every day during the week. And it became just, you know, a prayer would became my heartbeat as a pastor, and those were some of my prayer years. And I loved living in Belgrade. You know, our church, you know, by God's grace and by all this prayer, it grew to about 220 people in five years. We had five great elders, 10 incredible deacons. But then the Lord moved us. We live in Ohio now. My mom's a widow. My, both my, uh, my uh, wife's parents are older. They've had health issues, and we sense the Lord saying, go back. I'm like, but Lord, we love it here. We've got an incredible body of people here. And I know, Jim, at your church, some of our people are at your church, and they're just incredible, awesome people. But God moved us, and we were there at a church in Ohio for two years. It was a bigger church. I was a youth pastor there. And uh, after two years, they fired me. It was, a, it was like the lowest point. It was, it, and I'm proud now because when I was hired there, they said, we want a disciple maker. And then the, after about four months, the guy who hired me, the executive pastor, left. A new guy came in and said, we're not interested. Get this. We're not a disciple-making church. We're an attractional church. And I'm like, you know what? That's, that's not part of who I am. And as we were making disciples in the youth group, they decided, you know what? You're done. Fired you. And so here we had a house in Belgrade because this was in 2010. This was at the, I mean, 
we could not even get someone to come and look at our house. So we were renting it out, losing $5,000 a year on the rental. And then we had a house in Ohio. So here, oh, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to have a rental in every state of the country pretty soon if we got to keep moving. And we didn't know what the Lord was doing. I was at a low point. And seven days after I got fired is when the Murray Ridge Center called my wife and said, would you come and interview for a job for our nursing position here? She had substitute nursed a couple times there. They loved her. They called her. They hired her. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what are you doing? So Stacy's got this job here. We need income. Where are you going to move up? You know, are we going to go somewhere else? Seven days after she got hired, uh, Dan Spader, the founder of Sun Life, called me and said, hey, would you come on staff with us as a regional director? for Sun Life. It's a, it's a support raised position, but we know you, we believe in you, we love what you do, would you come on and, and do that? I said, well, let me pray. And, you know, we talked about doing that part-time, and then three days later, Trinity Evangelical Free Church called me and said, would you come on staff with us part-time as pastor of disciple-making? Uh, I'm ordained Evangelical Free, our church plant was E-Free, and their church is three miles from my house. So at our, our lowest time, God had them call my wife, then I got called, then I got called. Just where the Lord just reached in, even in our lowest time. And I, I think of uh, Philippians 3.10, where we say, I want to know Christ, and we all do. But he goes on to say, but I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And we'd like to pass on that. I would love to pass on that. But man, that's where we are forged, is on the anvil of affliction. And he really makes us who we are. So... Um, these past several years, past four years, I've really been studying and, and pushing out the life of Jesus. 1 John 2, 6 has been my verse. If anyone claims to be in him, they must walk as Jesus walked. So just knowing who Jesus, the biblical Jesus, because there's all kinds of Jesuses, you know. There's the Republican Jesus. There's the Democrat Jesus. Um, there's the, the hipster Jesus. Um, you know, there's the, like the youth pastor Jesus who's got the spiked hair a tat, he plays guitar, and has a fog machine, and all these different Jesuses. But there's a biblical Jesus, just knowing Jesus and walking with him, walking like him. And that's just sort of been my story over the years where, where God has been shaping, forming, using things in my past to prepare me for that next step. And I heard uh, Joseph Stoll once. He was a uh, he was the president of Moody Bible Institute. He's now the president of Cornerstone, where my kids go. And he said once that God uses the first half of your life to prepare you for the second half of your life. And that second half of your life, that's where that much fruit is. You get fruit, more fruit, and then that much fruit happens later on. And it's all part of the, the story he's writing, the foundation he's building to make you who you are now. So right now, what would be like the theme of my life right now? I think it would be um, joy. Just I have joy, even though I've gone through hardships with my dad, um, with difficulties in churches, with firings, um, and, and great times along the ways too. But there's a lot of joy now. I get joy like, in relationships. This morning when I, when I got here, or I got in late last night, and met a guy uh, from my former church at, um, at 8 this morning, just to be able to build into him. I got two more guys who I'm going to meet with tomorrow who were part of our, our church before. And just the, the value and in, 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 um, importance of these relationships. Um, I got a, a text message about an hour ago um, that a guy from my church that I'm a part of in Ohio, that he died. 
I don't know if he died last night or this morning. He's a great, he's a good friend. He and his wife are one of my ministry partners. They donate to support my ministry. It's like, wow, he, I, I love this man. I love Tom. And just so I, I value relationships more. I find joy in people and in circumstances more. And the other word besides joy would be uh, influence. The older you get, the, the more mature you get, the more mentors and disciple makers you have in your life building you up, you start to have more and more influence on other people. And uh, that's one of the most important things, is having that joy and influence that makes a difference in people's lives. Um, what's my verse now? It's sort of a, and I think this is going to be it for the end, I hope, because this seems like to me most important. It would be Colossians 1, 16 through 18. Paul says, by him, by Jesus he's talking about, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And that's sort of my favorite word for Jesus, is supreme. He is above all, and we are here for him. So our difficulties and struggles and trials and failures, they're all for him, used by him to make us so we bring him, him glory. So um, I want to just encourage, challenge you guys that... Um, Use these years. God's at work during these years. He was at work in your previous 18, 19, 20, or however many, ever many years. He was at work during those years preparing you for what he has planned for you. Part of what you're doing now is what he's got planned for you. So now find joy, find influence. But it's all, realized part of the building blocks. Um, so we can um, be frustrated about our past. We could take our past for granted if it's been, you know, a pretty good past, but it's all part of what God's doing to prepare you to bring Jesus glory and make sure that, that he's supreme in all things. Let me pray for us. Lord, I, I wouldn't trade my story for any. I would trade my mistakes, my sins, my failures. I hate those. I have regrets on those, Lord. I would trade those, but none of the other difficulties or hard situations or struggles um, those, were, those were part of your plan, and I thank you for those. I pray, dear God, that the rest of my life would be bearing much fruit, that would be pointing people to the supremacy of Jesus, that, that my life would reflect, um, re reflect Jesus, that people would see Jesus living by the way I live, as I walk as Jesus walked. I pray for this group of, of students and adults here at, at Montana Bible College. I pray, Lord, you change the world through them. I pray that they would be open and have high ceilings, each one of them, for the work that you want to do in them and then you know, do through them as well. Pray for their future marriages. Pray for their future children. Uh, for protection from the enemy as he does desire to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, protect them and, and give them true life, Father, abundant life that comes from following Jesus. Uh, that's our prayer, and we thank you through him. Amen.